1: I've got some good news for you today and a little bit of bad news, but hey, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both and something, something. I'm sure a little tune sprang to life in your brain as I was saying that. I want to mention that our program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage and LifesavingFood.com. Now, something interesting here, I've... I had forgotten September is National Preparedness Month. Maybe I got caught up in all the other stuff that was going on, but I had forgotten about this. Well, check this out. For the next few days, like until September 25th, you can score 20% off your purchase at Life Saving Food. 20% off. This is really significant, especially if you're, you know, buying a big-ticket item. Just use my name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, at checkout for that twenty percent discount. Now again, that's a limited time offer. I was just looking through to see, okay, what would I get? And since I'm the kind of guy who I gotta have some protein in my diet, I gotta have some meat. I was looking at some of the deals they have on meat buckets. Now again, this is twenty five year shelf life, but we're talking sixty servings of real meat in this one bucket. This is two two oh nine ninety nine. Take twenty percent off. And you use the coupon code hide, but it includes teriyaki chicken, Southwest style chicken, roasted chicken, stroganoff beef, cheesy ground beef, roasted ground beef. Yeah, I mean, hey, that survival could actually be kind of a nice thing. Well, I mean, it's just good to have these stores of food. But remember, this is a limited time offer. This is for my listeners. Use the coupon code hide at the checkout for a 20% discount. But hurry, that's a limited time offer, which expires on September 25th. So, let's start with some good news. And and I I share this with you because I had some time to travel this weekend and, you know, just with family. So, this was this was the right kind of, you know, together time, great opportunity to just spend some time with family and trying to look at the silver lining of all the stuff that's happened. As I have mentioned on this program in the last few episodes, I I'm still coming to terms, and I think I'm I'm finally getting there to where I'm. I'm okay with embracing that uh, we are not going to go back to normal. It's just not going to happen. Things have changed. The shift has come, and what we are left to deal with is reality, which I've heard defined as everything you wish, or I'm sorry, everything that remains when you wish it were otherwise. But there's a certain way of looking at things. And again, I'm going to hearken to the thinking of uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner in a German concentration camp during World War II. Later, after surviving the war, he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about how when, when something happens, we may not have control over what is happening to us, but he says there is a gap between that thing happening and how we choose to react to it. And he says, that's where our growth takes place. We can choose to respond in a positive way. So I wanted to share with you something I found on Facebook over the weekend. I know, it's a fount of wisdom. No, I I found this this uh, just what-if scenario. But I love the thinking that goes along with this. This was posted on uh, an account by the name of Lee Rackley. So I, I hope I'm giving credit to the right person. Um, yeah, this, I mean, this thing has been shared thousands and thousands of times, but what if not having a vaccine passport meant that you could no longer go to a restaurant and were instead forced to have picnics and dinner parties? What if not having a vaccine passport meant that instead of supporting huge supermarket chains where 80% of the food is rubbish, you instead had to turn to your local farmers and green grocers? What if not being allowed to fly meant that instead you had to explore your own beautiful state or road trip through the countryside, bringing business back to small towns along the way? What if losing your job working for a company meant that instead you got to start building your passion and vision and start your own business and got to keep the income generated for yourself? By the way, when I shared this on Facebook, someone thoughtfully pointed out, minus the taxes they're going to take. It's true. They will take your taxes. But there is something to be said for starting your own company. And I really wish I had done it uh, years earlier. What if instead of running straight to the doctor, you started looking into other healing modalities that focused on the cause instead of just the symptoms? What if instead of being stuck indoors training in a gym, you trained amongst nature and in the fresh air and sunshine. What if, instead of living in fear, you lived in faith and started realizing these could be silver linings and blessings in disguise? Now I know there are some people, the naysayers will say, Well that's very Pollyanna ish, you know, you're just you're just turning your back on reality. No, I think this is actually this is embracing. Reality. This is embracing the change and saying, look, I may not be able to change this, but I can turn this to my advantage. And you know what? There's nothing that anybody can do to take that positive attitude or that positive approach away from you. Because it's your choice. This is one of the few things you and I actually have control over. So seeing this, uh, you know, what if scenario... Especially after spending time with family and thinking, man, things have have kind of changed in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that we just can't do that we would think about doing. But there's a lot of stuff that we can do and and should be doing. In spite of all the restrictions, all of the strictures here and there telling us, you know, you can't do this. You must do that. So I offer this for your consideration. There is a link in the show notes at com that will take you to this. If you want to pass it around, if you're on Facebook, if you're not... Well, I hope you have a good memory <laughs> because I've just shared it with you and hopefully that'll that'll get you through. Now, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about experts. I saw a great article over the weekend from Art Carden from the American Institute for Economic Research. And I don't think it's an exaggeration. I don't think this is hyperbole to say that, well, you know, the experts are trying to run everything in our lives. At least they're weighing in on, on every single aspect of our lives. But the funny thing is, Experts are are good to have around. And Art Carden explains, you know, hey, it's wonderful to have access to people who have legit expertise. But he reminds us none of those experts can judge as accurately what's personally best for you and your circumstances like you can. And by the way, even those experts... Even when they're right, they can still fail because they don't know you. They don't stand in your shoes. They don't have your priorities. They don't know what is best for you. So I thought that was a good place to start. How experts can fail even when they are right. Now, Art Carden says, look, I trust experts. I listen to my doctor, mechanic, hairstylist, and financial advisor. I rely on my doctor to advise me about the effects and side effects of different medications. I trust my mechanic to inform me about how replacing my tires would affect traction. I trust my hairstylist to tell me which products will make my hair look a certain way. I trust my financial advisor to inform me about the combinations of risk and return. The different mutual funds offer. I trust them to advise me. However, I do not trust them to choose for me. Even if they wish me nothing but the best and are exactly right within their areas of expertise, they do not have my knowledge of the particular circumstances of time and place. And he says, I think this is true even when there are spillovers, as with contagious diseases like COVID-19. So I want to pause for just a moment here. We're, going to, we're coming up on the break here in about a minute, but I'm sure you appreciate having experts that you can turn to, right? When, when something goes wrong, when the car stops running or when, you know, something breaks at home. I mean maybe you're one of those renaissance people who can, you know, get in there and figure it out and do it yourself. And I have the deepest respect for those who can do it. Now personally, you know, if I if I have a problem with my heart, I'm not going to try to pop in some new valves for myself, you know, on a do it yourself basis. I'm sure there's a video on YouTube that can show me how to how to get this thing done. I just I just got to figure out, you know, how to keep my chest open and stay conscious while I'm putting my new heart valves into work. <laughs> no, I would I would look to a legitimate expert there. But one of the problems that we're running into today is a lot of the experts, by the way, that's air quotes going around them. A lot of these experts seem to have an agenda attached to their expertise. Or they, let me put this another way. They have hired out their expertise. They become a gunslinger, sort of, for those who have an agenda. And this is something that we're seeing in spades I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, being a medical doctor, well, that's not enough. You can't question this particular aspect of COVID mitigation. Why? Because that's not your specialty. I don't know. I think sometimes uh, when when that agenda gets gets into play, it becomes more about the, the what are we going to make you do? And what does it take to convince you that someone in authority is saying this is the best thing? This is not to say there aren't times you shouldn't listen to what they have to say. But we're going to come back to Art Carden's article, and I think you'll understand when we're done. You have to make the final choice because you know what's best for you.
0: Back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Thanks so much for being
1: part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers today. Sharing an article from Art Carden from the American Institute for Economic Research. He's talking about experts, but and it's great to have experts. He gives examples of the experts he counts on, but he also points out experts can fail even when they are right, because they do not have your knowledge of the particular circumstances of time and place. He says, here's a funny, not as emotionally charged, uh, charged as COVID illustration, and he links to a Newsweek article um, and the website. It's a Southern thing, which makes fun of experts' recommendations about thermostat settings that will maximize energy efficiency here and here. This is there's the link. There's the link. And you can follow this from the link I provide in the show notes at the show dot com. Newsweek reports on a Department of Energy and Environmental Protection Agency report prescribing thermostat settings of 78 degrees when home, 82 degrees at night, and 85 degrees when away from home for maximum energy efficiency. Now, people all over social media noticed pretty quickly these expert recommendations were leaving out some vital considerations. First of all, if energy efficiency is all that matters, why stop at thermostat settings? Why not simply recommend getting rid of home heating and cooling altogether? Now, Art Carden says, look, in fairness, I don't think they were urging this on people as much as they were trying to inform folks who might want to save a few dollars on their power bill every year and are looking for small changes they can make. Still, if energy efficiency is a moral imperative, then he says we can do better by telling people they should never turn on their home heating and air again. Whew. (laughs) This is a good, this is actually a really good example. The temperature dropped like a rock where I live recently and, you know, had had to fire up the furnace. Second, he says, there's a lot more to life than energy efficiency. There's comfort, for example, and many of us are willing to pay for comfort. He says, from a lot I've read and heard recently, people sleep a lot better in cool bedrooms. I know I do. 82 degrees is a lot of things, but it isn't cool and comfort affects mood, which directly affects decision-making and relationships. When I'm comfortable, I'm more pleasant to be around, and I make better choices. Saving a few dollars on the power bill every month isn't worth it if it means being grumpier. Third, he says people who want to maintain a constant comfort level with a 78-degree indoor summer temperature might end up wasting a lot of time and money staying cool in other ways. Canned drinks are refreshing when it's hot, but they cost money. Running electric fans costs money. People dutifully setting their thermostats to 78 degrees might not change their total energy use. In fact, what they may do is just change how they do it. In an entertaining but depressing article, Richard B. McKenzie explains that the calories people expend walking to work might create more pollution than driving on net. Fourth, Art Carden points out there are lots of ways to save energy and money. Don't go to restaurants as frequently. Be more judicious when shopping for groceries. Take shorter showers. Turn the lights off when you leave a room. In other words, consume less. But even then, there might be unintended consequences. For example, if more people require prescription eyewear after years and years of sitting under the poor light emitted by environmentally friendly light bulbs, how much of the earth have we saved? And what does this have to do with expert recommendations about things like masking mandates, social distancing, and lockdowns? First, the energy recommendations are presumably there to combat climate change, not just save people money. Distancing and masking protocols are in place to slow down the transmission of COVID-19. However, one of the problems with relying on narrow expertise is that it tends to overemphasize small parts of people's lives. There's more to life than minimizing exposure to or transmission of a single pathogen. Amen, bro. And he says, and there are a lot a lot of ways to reduce COVID risk. Of course, many places aren't helping matters by passing laws prohibiting stores, restaurants, and schools from requiring vaccination or masks. And that's hardly consistent with a free society that values experiments in living. In fact, he says, David Henderson has made this point at EconLib saying, you're not allowed to require proof of vaccination or you're not allowed to require masks actually interferes with people's freedom of association. Businesses and schools have dress codes, and people running those businesses and schools know the particular circumstances of time and place better than governors and legislators. He says people also adapt as new information emerges. For instance, Art Carden says, my older son played football for a single season, enjoyed it, and decided it was not for him. Now, he says, my wife and I were a little worried in light of ongoing evidence about football and head trauma, but we let him play. And I got talked into being an assistant coach, which was hilarious in its own right. Likewise, leagues around the country have adopted new to new adapted rather to new information about head trauma and issued new rules about contact. One referee said they all agreed that it was probably a good idea to throw a flag whenever everyone in the crowd gasped at once. So mandates, lockdowns, and control, even when urged by experts who mean nothing but the best, still throw away a lot of valuable information. First, there's a lot more to life than whatever the expert is an expert on. And this isn't to suggest that people should throw caution to the wind and just do whatever's pleasant and convenient. Second, people adapt to new information. They adopt different policies for their schools, their restaurants, and businesses. They say yes or no to invitations based on new information. They wash their hands with varying degrees of care. The experts, moreover, can get things exactly right, but they can also get things generally wrong. Like experts on energy efficiency don't know where to set your thermostat. Experts on health risks don't know which bundle of risks and precautions is the right one, given your goals and values. Now, again, this is Art Carden, who's a senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. Man, that just makes so much sense. So, if you'd like, file it away, take a look at it, see what you think, uh, you know, share it with friends. It's some great intellectual ammunition to have for a time when you need it. But don't forget, the ultimate responsibility is on your shoulders and I know, we like to, oh, but I'm not an expert. I can't do that. It's okay. You really don't need to be an expert. You just have to learn how to to seek out experts, and, and not just ones that agree with you, but, you know, take a look at... you got to learn how to think like an expert. This is something I actually studied when I was in school some years back. And it was how to think like an expert. And this is the the exercise that we were given. I think I was assigned... Oh, what was it? Uh, I was assigned to, to to comment on what experts uh, forecast for North America, you know, for the next twenty years, something like that. And the idea was, you know, I didn't have a crystal ball to gaze into. I couldn't, you know, just read the tea leaves and tell you this is this is what's going to happen. But you had to go into. What experts were saying, and I think I read 14 or 15 different experts prognosticating, here's what we see in terms of energy, in terms of population trends, and so forth. By the way, none of them called COVID, so I'm just going to point that out. Not a one. (laughs) So, But after you read all of these different sources, you're doing what's called a kind of syntopical reading, where as much as you're reading, you're also taking notes and you're writing, and you're looking for the places where there is agreement in other words, some of those experts don't agree with each other. You're not looking for experts who perfectly, oh, yes, yeah, we're all marching and chanting in tune. No, you know, it's it's a matter of where is their agreement, where is their disagreement, but it, it takes work. And this is the thing that very few people are willing to do, is to, to get in there and do the sweat-inducing thinking and work, but at the end of the day... When you compared the places where there was commonality and you looked at those things and then weighed them out for yourself, you could have a pretty clear view of what those trends were. And I think this would work with pretty much any subject. Now, obviously, if you're getting into molecular biology or you're, you know, getting into, uh, you know, genetic research, it could be a little bit different, right? Should give it a try, though. And trust yourself. That's the most important part. So many things. Every late night commercial on TV reminds you, hey, you're broken and you suck, but you'll be better off if you buy this. I want to assure you, you are not broken. You are capable of thinking these things through. And of course, you are capable of making your own decisions.
0: Please don't settle for anything less. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: I just want to uh, give a quick shout-out here to one of my sponsors. That would be the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. As I travel, and I don't travel a lot, but as I'm driving throughout the Intermountain West, it strikes me that... Holy cow, there are a lot of people that have discovered this and are moving here from other areas. And I don't know the reasons. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, well, they're probably moving from lockdown central to places where they can breathe a little more freely. Doesn't matter the reason. If you're one of the thousands of people relocating to the Intermountain West, you've uh, if you've arrived, you've probably noticed the real estate market is really competitive right now. So what this means is when you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away now. Now. And that's where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, can help you. Now, this is going to be of particular interest to any of my listeners in the state of Utah. The Heather Turner team has decades of experience in the lending industry. Uh, She clearly understands the ins and outs of what lenders and borrowers need. Bottom line is, Heather is the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. You can contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage at 435-703-4522. You can visit their office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I guess there was an award show over the weekend. I I didn't watch it. I'm, I'm really not. Was it the daytime Emmys? I don't know. I saw a couple of clips on Twitter, though of, uh, you know, starlets posing on the red carpet. Ooh, how glamorous. Look at this almost dress. Yes, and, uh, oh, isn't she so pretty? Stop and we'll take pictures. But there's a trend that I'm starting to notice, and this was first pointed out last week when uh, AOC went to the uh, Met Gala with her dress Tax the Rich. And that was, okay, that's an attention-grabbing thing. Yes, okay, AOC, let's, hang on a sec, let me just give you a little... Round of applause. Oh, that was just beautiful. Well played. (laughs) She's still online trying to explain how it was iconic and going to the dictionary to try to do this. But the crazy thing about it is that gala illustrated very clearly something that was also seen at the Emmys. And has been seen at various gatherings of politicians and, and other high and mighty people. And that is the trend where the elite trot around maskless while those who serve them are forced to cover their faces with masks. And you can see this plain as day. All the photographers, all the people standing there helping and assisting these starlets as they were walking in, making their grand entrance. Yeah, they're all masked up. And I think there's a a metaphor here, or maybe it's just revealing something that uh, we've been ignoring. Got a great article here from Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education who says, forget the dress. AOC's Met Met Gala scandal really shows inequality of lockdown life. Brad Palumbo says, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is no stranger to controversy. The New York Democrat and self-described socialist went viral this week when she attended the the New York City Met Gala, where tickets cost upwards of $30,000, and of course wearing a dress emblazoned with tax the rich. Now, critics have already, quite rightly, pointed out the grotesque hypocrisy in Ocasio-Cortez's stunt. Partying with the rich and famous while pretending to oppose them. Or the audacity of cosplaying as a socialist champion while enjoying the most ostentatious and extravagant celebrations of capitalism's excess. But he says, while this hypocrisy has garnered most of the attention so far, it shouldn't actually be considered the biggest scandal of the evening. The real Met Gala scandal is the way the elite trotted around maskless while forcing the serving class to cover their faces with masks. An ugly reminder of the harsh inequality of COVID era restrictions. From Ocasio-Cortez herself to Vice President Kamala's stepdaughter to celebrities, many elite figures were photographed maskless while attended to by masked workers. Both the Congresswoman and Harris continue to implore citizens, even the vaccinated, to mask up indoors. In one particularly disturbing video, a maskless Ocasio-Cortez literally has a masked servant trailing her and holding up her tax-the-rich dress so it doesn't touch the ground. The poors don't get to show their faces. Isn't that something? Brad Palumbo says this dichotomy is nothing short of of grotesque. As dissident left-wing journalist uh, Glenn Greenwald put it, there's nothing, or there is something rather uniquely disturbing, creepy even, about becoming accustomed to seeing political and cultural elites wallowing in luxury without masks, while those, while those paid small ways, wages to serve them in various ways are forced to keep cloth over their faces. It's a powerful symbol of the growing rot at the core of America's cultural and social balkanization a maskless elite attended to by a permanently faceless servant class. Now he says the same people who sneer at us to follow the science and listen to the experts apparently think the necessity of mask wearing depends on whether you can afford that $30,000 plus ticket or you're there as a worker. Combined with the litany of examples of left-leaning politicians caught violating their own COVID-19 restrictions, The gaudy affair is another ugly reminder that the elite have little intention of living by the pandemic restrictions they would impose on the masses. Palumbo says the Met Gala's glaring inequality is emblematic of the broader impact restrictions have had throughout the pandemic to date. It wasn't white-collar workers or the laptop class who had their livelihoods destroyed by the government. It was working people. It wasn't the rich whose businesses went belly up. They got bailouts. It was small businesses. In fact, an analysis by Harvard University, Brown University, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation showed that the economic destruction of pandemic restrictions almost exclusively fell on the middle and working classes. It compared employment levels in January 2020, pre-pandemic, to March 2021 to gauge the job losses for different income levels. The analysis found that high-wage workers actually saw a 2.3% increase in employment. Meanwhile, middle-wage employment dropped 4.5%, and very low-wage employment plummeted 23.6%. Now, ultimately, a dress is just a dress, says Brad Palumbo, and one appalling celebrity event isn't that consequential in the grand scheme of things. So the outrage over Ocasio-Cortez's hypocritical tax-the-rich dress and the Met Gala will fade soon enough. But we should never forget the grotesque inequity of COVID authoritarianism that this affair symbolizes. And Brad Palumbo says, and never submit to it again. I've got a link to the article. Again, I would encourage you, if if you can stomach it, check out some of the clips on Twitter of the uh, the Emmy Awards or whatever the awards show was last night. I'm, I apologize, but I'm just, Hollywood has very little to offer me, so I, I just don't take advantage of it, and and, and therefore I remain ignorant of it. I'm, I'm actually proud of that ignorance, if I can just be honest. But how do you feel about, well, you know, as long as you're one of the elite, as long as you're one of the upper crust, you can go without a mask. But that's for the little people. This is one of the reasons why I am very adamantly opposed to masks. And, and if I could, let me flesh that out for just a sec, because I don't want to make it sound like, wow, you are just, you know, totally inflexible in your thinking. That's not to say that I would never put on a mask. If I had symptoms, well, first of all, I probably wouldn't go out of my home. If I was feeling like I was sick, I wouldn't risk getting other people sick. Sorry, but I'm just courteous that way. But but secondly, if I'm going to visit someone, and if I'm going to visit elderly relatives or just someone who is at risk, someone who is undergoing chemotherapy or something like that has, has immune considerations, I do have a mask with me, and I will ask them, would you feel better if I were to mask up? And if they say yes, please, oh, well, by all means, then, I'm going to put it on. I mean, this isn't like the central idea of my life. It's not like I'm I'm, I'm going to be the monomaniac, and that's the only thing. Everything must be maskless, you know? It's when it's demanded. It's when it's mandated, when that one-size-fits-all approach is being hammered down on my head. That's what I want to push back, and I think this is probably as good a reason as any to resist these efforts to, to know your place or to be put in your place. I've got news for those who are, you know, trying to put us in our place. I'm a free man. I don't beg permission to go about, may I live my life, please? May I make a living? May I do this? I'll find a way. And I will live as freely as I possibly can. And if that means, you know, there are some places, well, you can't come in here without this. Okay. Then I'll find some place that I can. Now, of course, it feels like the noose is tightening. And I can't help but wonder if maybe this spells opportunity for people like me to, to seek out like-minded folks. And maybe we have to build our own parallel economy. Could be something based on barter. I don't know. I know there are great minds that are working on it. I'd like to be one of those minds that helping helps to push this thing forward, to have a solution where, you know, hey, let the elite have their little club. Let them impose restrictions on whoever they can get to obey. But I'm not going to be one of their denizens. Not a chance.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Please,
1: I would ask you, check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Send a little bit of love in the direction of my sponsors. Let them know that their message is reaching you, and and by all means, take advantage this week. This is the last week of uh, pre- National Preparedness Month. I know I waited till the very end of the month to say. By the way, this is here. Here's what's going on. But um, lifesavingfoods.com is offering for my listeners a twenty percent off price reduction. Twenty percent. You just have to use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, when you check out. And uh, 20% savings, that is only good through September 25th. So you better jump on it if you're so inclined. But uh, might be a really good time to get started if you're just getting started in food storage or to to bolster that existing food storage program. Now, if you are serious about not being deceived, which, by the way, is kind of a full-time job in our day and age, You've got to pay close attention to the inexplicable changes in our language, usually by the people who are trying to seek greater power and control. What do you mean language is changing, Brian? Well, I don't know. Can you think of any phrases or, you know, names of sports teams or anything like that that were once perfectly acceptable? Nobody said them with any hint of hatred or, you know, derision towards another person. But now they're banned. Why? Because they're insensitive. You can't think that. You can't say that. And, and of course, it goes even further. In fact, I want to share with you uh, an article that popped up over the weekend. This is from Red Pilled TV. Orwellian Medical speak Revealed. And I have to admit, this is some pretty, pretty interesting stuff. We may have mentioned it here on the show, but uh, I wanted you to hear it for yourself. This is from Brian Wilson who I believe is a a radio host uh, um, nationally, Orwellian medical news speak revealed. It seems very minor, but remember, you know, words have meanings, and when you change those meanings, you can shift the public's attention. Um, You can basically get the public to believe 2 plus 2 equals 5 by changing these definitions. So give a listen to how the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently changed the definition of vaccine to intentionally exclude the concept of attaining any sort of immunity from the word's meaning. Check it out.
2: The CDC has changed the definition of vaccine from, quote, a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease to a new definition that describes vaccines as, quote, a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases. Why did they change the definition to exclude the idea that vaccines produce immunity to a specific disease? As the Gateway Pundit reported, quote, The problem is that COVID-19 is not a disease. It causes a variety of diseases. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky recently admitted that the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine is waning. So, rather than admit the COVID vaccine is not working as advertised, the CDC took a page out of Orwell's 1984 and opted for new spin language. However, However, this isn't the only time that the medical establishment has moved the goalpost for qualifying definitions during this COVID-19 so-called pandemic. In fact, the very word pandemic's definition has been altered, thanks to help from the mainstream media, from a worldwide epidemic of an infectious disease that causes a significant or massive amount of death, to a new definition, where a worldwide epidemic is all that is necessary to qualify an outbreak as a pandemic. Why was the definition of this word altered in the minds of populations worldwide? Perhaps because the COVID death toll just wasn't as high as the WHO had initially predicted back in early 2020, so the definition was made more inclusive by excluding the need for significant death tolls. Not only vaccine and pandemic, but also the concept of herd immunity has been significantly altered in the minds of the masses. No longer does herd immunity mean that a large portion of the community has become immune to a disease through direct exposure to it and overcoming it with their own immune system. Now with the new speak, herd immunity can also be achieved through vaccination and is constantly and consistently described with vaccination as the primary way of achieving herd immunity. All of this despite the fact that most pandemics throughout history achieved herd immunity without assistance from vaccines. So why was the definition of herd immunity changed? Clearly to push the final solution, vaccination. Treatments for COVID have been ridiculed and made scarce despite their overwhelming effectiveness in reducing symptoms and aiding people's immune system in the fight against an infection. It seems Orwell's 1984 well-predicted the new world order's ability to change the very meaning of words in order to maintain and expand their own authority over us may god help us all and cleanse the bodies of all of those who have accepted the mrna vaccine into their bloodstream and may those behind this plandemic burn away forever in the eternal fires of hell at the end of time this is Brian Wilson with InfoWars.com. Okay.
1: <laughs> May they burn away in hell for all time. <laughs> okay, I, lo- I, I agree with everything else, though, in the, in the video there and in, in his commentary. Why change the meaning? Why shift things around? I mean, you realize we, we live in a time where uh, the ineffectiveness of a medicine, and I'm, I'm not saying that lightly, I'm just simply pointing out the the vaccine isn't going to stop you from getting a virus. It won't stop you from spreading the virus. And that ineffectiveness is being blamed on the people who haven't taken it yet. I don't know. There's a lot of conspiracies out there. And, you know, the, the funny thing is some of them may actually be based in fact. It's hard to tell, though. Because some of the some of the conspiracies out there are just they're there to to lead you into a dead end. They're they're there to waste your time and waste your moral energy as you fret and you fuss and fight over it. Be careful. Don't uh, don't give too much of your allegiance. To those things, but but also understand little things like changing the meaning of a word here and there, scrubbing this definition and putting in a new one. The cool thing is, there are people who pay attention to this, and I'm grateful for those who are. Um, I've I've heard it called weaponized autism. No offense to those who are somewhere on the spectrum, but there are people who pay very close attention to these things and can show you the screenshots. Well, look, here's what the CDC's website said on this date. You know, prior to COVID, here's what it says today. And I don't think it's just a matter of, well, you know, the science hasn't changed. We've just learned more. This is very subtle. If it were a factor of science changing and, well, you know, we've, we've discovered something, you know, more important or something that, that uh, makes what we believed before outmoded, it's okay to make a big deal about it, right? It's not the same thing as we were wrong. It's just we didn't understand this as completely as we understand it now. That's not what's happening, though. This is a very subtle little thing, a little tweak here, a little tweak there. Just it's not to, to derail us entirely, but more or less to shift those rails a degree or two in, in the wrong direction. Which if you know anything about, you know, plotting a course, if you're off by just a couple of degrees, the farther you go, the further off course you're gonna be. Look, as a nation, as a society, I think we're, we're getting to the point where we are way off course. And I honestly believe most people feel this at some level. I mean, what would it take? How, how obtuse would you have to be? I mean, like deliberately obtuse to look at what's going on around us and not come to the conclusion that, ooh, this doesn't feel right. And I know there are people who will take exception. Oh, is it about your feels? Well, (laughs) I believe in science. I believe in facts. Well, I believe science and facts actually coexist along with with everything else that makes up reality. But I'm also just going to put it out there for the sake of consideration. You don't have to believe this. What if there is truth beyond that which can be quantified merely by our five senses? Yeah, I'm talking about spiritual truth. See, and to my thinking, that's not contradictory to the reality that we live in and what our five senses can tell us. That's a part of it. But I think we sometimes ignore, you know, the the spiritual side of things in favor of just doing. You know, well, if it's not if it's not something I can see, taste, touch, smell, etc., you know, you're you know, it doesn't exist. I don't know how to explain or quantify the fact that I love my kids and I love my wife. But it's real. In fact, uh, these are some of the most real things in my life. The decisions I make are based in the reality that I love them. How can a scientist prove that? See, I don't think it's possible.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.